Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and as we walk with Jesus Christ through these last days of his earthly life, culminating in Holy Week, we invite you to join us in this Lenten journey, a journey of introspection, a journey of preparation, a journey that will help us to come home to God through Christ. So we invite you to join us as we set our feet toward Jerusalem. Come on in. Our first lesson is taken from Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. He looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of John. We are in the second chapter. Right after the wedding at Cana comes these verses. Familiar verses of Jesus turning over the tables in the marketplace in the temple. Listen for the word of the Lord, John 2, 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples, what, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we were looking for something to watch on Netflix, and we're looking at the top-rated shows, and we stumbled on Inventing Anna. Anybody? Mm-hmm. So the story is based on a true story. They Hollywooded up at some points, but it's based on a true story that happened recently. As it Turns out there is a Russian-born, German-raised uh, um, 
female adult who comes to the United States and through the contacts she's able to make, through the clothes she wears, through the people she meets and is, in, and is introduced to others, she completely scams not only the New York elite business community, but celebrities, media, so much so that she was this close from getting a $22 million loan to buy a building and start her own Anna Delvey Foundation. She has this accent that I'm still not sure how and where it comes from. She's a little thing, big glasses. Jennifer Gardner is the actress. If you watch another Netflix, Ozark, she's Ruth in that. I am not recommending either of these for your pastoral or Christian consumption. <laughs> Netflix, hire some writers. Every other word doesn't have to be the same cuss word again and again and again. We get it. Sorry, that's an aside. So the story chronicles her rise to power for a short time. She wears only the best clothes. But what we find out at the end is that she was a con artist. That she took advantage of just about everybody she came into contact with. Smart, very smart, very business savvy. All she wanted to do was, as a child, look like the girls in the magazines, be wealthy, live the elite life, and her Anadelphi Foundation was to be a meeting place for the super elite, a club and art center in New York City. So how does she get caught? Well, she doesn't pay any of her bills anywhere she goes. How do you get away with that? You're perceived as being super wealthy, that's why. So she comes into hotels and she'll distract them a little bit and they won't get a credit card on file. She'll stay a month and then they'll realize that she hadn't paid them anything and then she does my father to transfer, wire transfer. It's all about the wire transfers that don't come, the credit cards that have been canceled and she needs to get other ones. Always excuses to why she can't pay. And yet she has access to some money, but everybody thinks she's an heiress whose money is tied up in a trust, so she can't get it right away, but she's about to, always about to. And she creates this shell of a life and pretends to live like New York wealthy elite. Finally, time after time after time, she gets arrested in 2017 for owing close to 300,000, I think it was 275,000. She gets arrested again, 2019. She was given four to 12 years of her sentence of which she just got out a year ago in 21, but her visa had expired, so they arrested her again. And that's where it stands. But as you watch this, you know she's a fraud, because we know how it's gonna work out. 
And we're thinking, why do, you, why do you believe her? How does she have the guts to con the top financiers in the business community and dupe people into being her friends? She created an empty persona based on what she did not have. This week, our item in plain sight for Lent is the coin. All of the stories this week in our daily devotions in the book, which again, we have for you here. This week is the coin. We started with dust. We went to bread. Last week was cross in the sense of discipleship, taking up your cross. And this week it is coin. So all the daily devotions have to do with stories of coins and money in the Bible. The Bible speaks of money some 2,300 times in some capacity. It's important. We know. Here we have two stories that we are given as our readings for today. We have the woman who gives her last two coins and turning over the tables in the temple. So let's look at the woman first. So as Vicki so well exegeted the story, gave you the context, they are at temple and they are collecting the offering and they were offering points, some 13 different points for different people in different places around the temple. And Jesus is there watching, just watching. And he sees some wealthy put in, and then he sees this destitute woman clearly from her look, from her stance, put in two worthless coins. And Jesus says, hey, disciples, look, I'm telling you, that one put in all she had. She gave out of everything that she is and all she had. Everybody else that you've seen has been given out of their abundance, meaning that they didn't start with the understanding that what we have are gifts from God and we are stewards of what we've been given, but rather take care of everything else and then I've got a little bit left over here, I'll throw it in the box for God and I'll make sure everybody sees me doing it. And this lady gave all she had. Often lifted up as a pious symbol of giving, we often hear at stewardship. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna help all of you today. Ushers, lock the doors. In this time of sacrificial giving, if you love and follow Jesus, you will give this church everything you have. Thank you. I need a jet, by the way. So I can take the word of God to wherever I think it needs to go, because only I can do that. I need my jet. So why not then? Why don't we ask that you give everything you have so that more people could have more. Well, because then you will have nothing, you become destitute, and then somebody else has to then share what they have to take care of all of us. Is that God's plan? No, of course not. 
What God is talking about, what Jesus is lifting up here is sacrificial giving. The woman gave what she had. And likewise, we are to be those stewards that give sacrificially, not just of our money, but of our talent and our time to serve Christ in a variety of ways. The church community is one of those, but in the community is the other. Through a variety of options, from the way that we treat people, in every hallway and school, all of us are being called to sacrificially give because Christ gave sacrificially for us. And it's not just this random demand. We know that in the process of this kind of giving, we often are transformed in the process of it. When we are able to help someone else in Christ's name because we give again of time, talent, or treasure, we know what that does for us. We know how that feels for us. We are all called to change the environments of which we have been called to. I'll share another quick Netflix. Ted Lasso. Anybody? Mm-hmm. A few of you. Good. Netflix. Hire some writers. You're getting lazy. Every other word doesn't have to be the same cuss word. So the quick story is that Ted Lasso is a football coach in the United States of football, football. And he is hired by what we would call a soccer team, football, America, uh, European football, to come and be the coach of their team. He knows nothing. He's never taught soccer before, never coached it before. The whole environment is this corporate kind of toxic masculine Nobody shows vulnerability. There is no failure, only success. And Ted Lasso comes in not knowing a lick about anything to do with soccer. Why did the female owner hire him? Because she just got divorced from the team's owner and she wants him to kill it and drive the one thing that her ex-husband loved more than anything else. I'm spoiling, I'm sorry. She wants him to make it a disaster. But before too long, something's happening. He is making biscuits, cookies, for this dragon lady owner. She is reaching out to all of these, again, other kind of toxic people that just operate in the way that they've always operated. And he starts to change the environment by being kind, by listening to people, by treating people with respect, by calling people by name, listening to what they have to say, changing the environment around him. Christ calls us to do the same thing with what we've been given. All the places we find ourselves we are called to be good stewards and to use what we've been given to change the environment around us for Christ. Another way to say that is that we are building the brick one at a time of Christ's kingdom here and now. The widow gave all she has. Are we being called? No. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of speculation that Jesus, because he just talked about to the scribes 
how they are deceitful because they are stealing the homes of widows. The question is, should the church have taken her money? Hmm, interesting. If they knew she was destitute, if they knew she wouldn't be able to eat, why would they allow her to give the money? Jesus seems to indicate we can do better than that. We're giving gifts, maybe finances aren't one of them. But we are called to share what we have. And yes, the church should not exploit its people and roll them over till all their money falls out of their pockets and we do a dance of treasure and money and ridiculous. That is not what God is calling us to. Second story, Jesus in the temple, there for Passover. John's gospel is the only one with it in the beginning. We came just from the wedding at Cana, right in the beginning of John's gospel, and then we go right to the temple. Most of the other Passovers, the other three gospels happen at the end, closer to Holy Week, not John. John wants to get it out early and get this message across. So he's there, animals are there for sacrifice, which they should be. The coin changers are there, which they should be. The animals, because they have to make sacrifices, part of their atonement process. And the coins we know, you couldn't, turn, you couldn't give Roman coins and bring them into the temple because they have Caesar's image on it, graven images, second commandment, can't do that. Have to trade Roman coins for official, clean and appropriate, acceptable tokens from the temple. Except in each case, people are being exploited. And where this is happening is far too close in the temple to the Holy of Holies. It is disrupting in the Gentile courtyard from other folks being able to worship and focus on God. It's turned into a carnival circus setting and that's when Jesus loses it. He gets a whip. Jesus gets the whip. Boom. Getting those animals out. Turns over the tables. Boom. That is not our happy, sweet, skippy Jesus. Jesus gets mad and with reason. They have distorted the temple, the worship, the church. They have demeaned worship. They have impeded the process and they have extorted others in the process. Absolutely right for Jesus to get mad. I thought we weren't supposed to get mad. It's a sin, isn't it? No, it's not. It becomes a sin if you start to be harmful to others and yourself. Anger can often be righteous anger that leads to action. You see a homeless person on the street and you get mad. You see a homeless family living in a car and you get mad. You are more likely to try to go do something about it. You see someone whose rights get denied. If you see someone who needs help or something wrong in the culture, society, your house, the church, you get mad and you go do something about it. Nothing wrong with that anger. Often it helps us to motivate us. Same thing with Jesus here. Again, anger not to the point of harming others or yourselves can be fruitful. All those coins, boom, all over. Because it's all they seem to care about in that time and place were those coins. All Anna Delvey cared about was those 
coins. She wanted to pretend like she was one of the big, wealthy, status-filled power. Look at me. But she was a sham. We all get caught in that cycle, no matter how wealthy or non-wealthy we see ourselves. Money is a part of our day-to-day, no matter who we are and what we do. When I was in youth ministry, folks, my youth would often say before they go to college, what, what do you think I should do? What I should major in? And I would always say whatever I thought, but then I always would say, take some business classes, take some financing classes, take some accounting classes so you know how to interact and understand money. Because no matter what you do, whether it's a nonprofit, a profit, whether you sell cupcakes, whether you're a plumber, whether you make pizza, whether you do whatever you do, you have to deal with money. Money itself is neutral. Neutral. It's First Timothy that tells us it's not money, but the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so our challenge is to not let the coin control us. It's to flip the coin so that it doesn't have power over us. We show the coin who's boss because it's not what's driving us. Yes, you can have ambition. Yes, nothing wrong with earning money or making a plan to acquire money. But look at that versus the time and energy you spend in your Christian journey and see how that balances out. And it's hard. I know it's different. Every day you got to eat. You got to mortgage the home to fill up your gas can, gas tank in your car. You've got to pay for your housing. You've got health concerns. There are children. There is a family. There's no deficit if I don't talk to God right now because I've got to do some other stuff. And when we work, we work. Absolutely. The key is not to let money control us. That we live with Christ at the center and we spend our money because of our belief in Christ. So that they will know we are Christians by our love not our empty shell seeking to fill it with that which will not satisfy, which will distort the reason that we were created in this earth and will rob us of loving others in Christ's name and changing the community around us. This is our call today, fourth week of Lent. Let us go forward Let us have courage to stand, to be good stewards of what we've been given. Change the world around us in Christ's name so that they will know we are Christians by our love and the way that we share our resources. Hallelujah. Amen.